I was planning on going. It's been on my calendar for a while, going to this uh, Flesh and Blood PTQ. Mm-hmm. And I just plan to play in it just because I like the game and stuff. And so on Thursday, I think, when I'm like actually looking up the details of the event to like figure out how far away it is and how much money is entry and stuff, mm-hmm. I go to the, the event page and the prizes are just like crazy. Yeah. So it's it's $20 entry about an hour away. It's in Fayetteville. And uh, there's no prize below top eight. Top eight first place gets a case of the new set. Oh, my God. Plus the invite. Plus a gold foil. Yeah. Which is like a super expensive curated right. legendary thing. Is Are gold foils better or cold foils better? So the chili ones are in normal packs. Okay. The gold ones you only can get from in, you can only get from events. Okay. So the gold foils are generally more expensive. Yeah, and and the the chili ones they can be any card, right? Yeah, they're just in normal packs. And the gold foils are curated fashion. for yeah. Yeah, they're good cards. Usually equip. I think they're all equipment. Is there like a reason why it's gold foils and cold foils and? I have no idea. It's really annoying. <laughs> Because that's why I've been saying chili, because I don't want to be like, yeah, did I say the wrong one? <laughs> or or did you hear me say the right thing? Like, when, yeah. especially when you're trying to talk about the difference between the two. Second place just gets two boxes. And then like top four gets a box, top eight gets half a box. Mm-hmm. And it was like, why are there so many prizes for this? Thing? Yeah. I like read out these prizes to Kenny and I'm like, it's $20 entry. And he's like. How fast can I learn flush? Right. <laughs> so we split the top eight. So everyone got like a box and a quarter. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a very top heavy distribution. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get to the finals after somehow winning two terrible matchups <laughs> in the top eight and the top four. Honestly, I felt really bad for my top eight opponent because they could not do anything. They just like might as well have been drawing blanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the finals guy really wants to go to France because that's where the the pro tour is mm-hmm. and i'm like i you know when you i don't know your outlook on tournaments but i know a lot of people when they like are going to an event that has some stakes they're like always evaluating like their position of how well you're going to do in it or how well you expect to do mm-hmm. and this guy expected to do well and really wanted to do well mm-hmm. whereas i have been a bit like you know, this is my first actual event. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, I think it'd be cool to go to the pro story. So I want to go, but like, I don't care as much as this person does. But I still want it. So we do like the the fun magic thing of, all right, you got to word your request in the correct way so that you don't get disqualified for bribery. Mm-hmm. So that's always fun. Yes. Uh, and we decide that the gold foil goes to second place and the invite goes to first. So I lost. Mm-hmm. Very, very close game. Mm-hmm. Came down to the last turn. And they take a picture with both prizes as if he has both of them. But then he gives me the the gold foil, which is in a sealed black little envelope. <laughs> like you can't see what's inside it. Uh-huh. You're not allowed to open it until you give it to the person. 
I knew these things were expensive, but I did not know the range of price. Mm-hmm. Like apparently they range from like five hundred to seventeen hundred dollars. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, this is too much money for a card. Yes. But luckily, the guy next to me that I was like I was sitting down playing my match, and the guy next to me, as soon as I lost, it's like, I give you a thousand dollars for the gold foil on seal or seal. <laughs> and I'm like, I-, I didn't know how much these things were worth. And luckily, someone like in the background who was watching a spectator was like, yeah, that seems fair. It's like, what, 500, 1500-ish? And I'm like, oh, thank God someone said something. <laughs> <laughs> so I snapped up that easy flip so I didn't have to worry about selling it to someone else. That's Because I'm not going to keep it. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. The I, 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 I feel like Magic has never done a good job of that, which is like the creation of value out of thin air to add to product prizes. I feel like they should take a page out of that book and do something like that. Cause that's great. If they can just like spend nothing to create a prize that is worth a thousand dollars at the top of these PTQs. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Especially since like the winner of the store championships, which I think was their best promotional prize that they've done at like a local level. Mm-hmm. That's like short of an invitational card, right? Like the worm coil engine was really cool. It had the store stamped on it. Yeah, uh, but it didn't have an art. The card is not heavily played anywhere, mm-hmm. and it's just like, how much do you love your local game store kind of deal, right? Which is, I guess, neat. But then you look at the guy in, you know, eight, fifth place who got a Lanor elves, and you're like, sucks to be you, dude, or not <laughs> elf, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. It w- it was not enough to convince me to go out and brave like covid infested magic stores to play in a store championship so i mean it was i went to the that one because it was at atomic and atomic is mm-hmm. very good about that yeah i i just didn't though yeah that's fair it was it was wild though <laughs> um that's <clears throat> yeah yeah i i i mean there's certainly like several different things that i think flesh and blood is doing better than magic but that i think flesh and blood is doomed though like it's just it doesn't have a casual format like you have to have a casual format i think that that is really rough and i generally think that almost every card game is doomed long term and by long term i mean within like five years of it starting to exist that's fair i they said they were making a cooperative like pve as a casual mode Mm -hmm. which if it's done well could be really cool, Could yeah. Could be really cool. Because it's already got the whole Dungeons & Dragons thematic down. Like, you're playing as a ranger or a bard or whatever. So yeah. Might as well just go all in. Right, right. Have an adventure with your characters. And then that gives them more opportunities to, like, define these characters outside of their position in a spiky competitive metagame. Yeah. Because the game is really fun. It's just... I mean, it, there's no casual format, so who's really yeah. going to be playing it in five years? Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, on, I mean, honestly, every card game, I just want to play a Chandelar version or a, a yes, Pokemon TCG for Game Boy Color version of it. Uh, Flesh and Blood seems very well suited for that sort of, like, go through dungeons, get cards, put them in your deck, make your character stronger kind of thing. I mean, that's the only reason I've played Legends from Terra as long as I have it, because they do have a Chandelar mode mm-hmm. in their game. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the best easy, not the easiest, but it's like the best thing you can possibly do for player retention. Yeah, that that would be really cool if they do come out with something like that. And I, it seems 
necessary for the longevity of the game. I, I generally think that almost every TCG is doomed over time. Magic has just like such a a base now that, you know, it was the first one. It has a lot of important things going for it that are basically impossible for a new game to get. Basically, the install base of Magic is so large. And then it also occupies so much space because it's so hard to like play two card games. Like the mm-hmm. TCG model is so unfriendly to players and so expensive and requires such a level of investment of both money and like game knowledge that it's so hard to play multiple at the same time that it's not like here is this new RPG when people are done with this like Bioware game they'll play our RPG or whatever it's like that's just not really how it works with card games and card games are also especially games like Magic they're encouraged, designed and encouraged for you to play like forever right so <laughs> yes it's a a a game as a service type thing where it's just like this is your primary way of playing games and any attention that you give to other games like costs you in this one it's it's it's, i don't like the model i love playing magic but like all the stuff around it like how you acquire cards and all the secondary stuff like having a market for cards and things like that i really hate having to involve myself in i agree the so one of the bittersweet things about winning the box from this weekend from flesh and blood is that that set is basically a core set it's got cards from all the classes instead of just a couple Mm -hmm. and it's extremely impactful and constructed but none of the good cards or very few of the good cards are actually high rarity they're Mm -hmm. like low rarity cards that are good which on one hand really good for like yeah for new players and and getting into it yeah but really bad for like owning a box of something and wanting to like make something out of it you'd have to open uh like a really legendary card or something sure to break even basically yeah i i hate booster packs in general is like a big part of my garbage distaste with card game philosophy i i think it's just horrible and i get like a visceral like sick feeling in my stomach whenever anybody's like here's my closet full of unopened magic the gathering product and i'm just like i hate this i hate everything about this like but what if they plan to draft it? I do hate when people are like, here's the stuff I've got because I'm holding on to it. Yeah. Just because. If it's if it's like I want to like continue to like in a year, I'm going to like open up this uh, or of the spark box and draft it with my friends. Like, I think that's I have no problem with that whatsoever. That's just using the game and playing the game. I, I just like. Everything about MTG Finance, everything about like hoarding unopened product, everything about opening booster packs on streams, I just like, it just, ugh, it leaves this like oily taste in my mouth. It's, it's just foul to me. Yeah, I agree. Whenever new sets come out, I just pay to own all the commons and uncommons, or I did whenever I cared about that stuff. Yeah. And that was way easier than doing anything else with product. Yeah, and then you buy the rares you need for your deck, and that that's it. Yeah. Yep. But they're so fun. I've played so many card games, CCR. So many. I know. I, I love playing the games. I just hate that the format is so associated with loot boxes. 
all the LCGs, the living card games that have like the the cards in the box or whatever, those mm-hmm. never took off. I think because they're just nowhere near as profitable as yeah loot boxes. Well, and I mean it is compelling to have cards that have value. Like there's something about that that really attracts people and is really like oh yeah like people love like the gambling the skinner box thing is really real and having value in your cards does is a motivating factor i i wish somebody could come up with a model for the lcg thing or whatever that would be as compelling to people and as interesting but so far like every tcg i mean every card game tends towards the booster pack model at least the major ones and that's ugh. that's magic's cardinal sin to be honest yeah it, they opened this pandora's box and like released the concept like it's the original loot box game right there wasn't one before magic yeah if you just bought a, a board game you got all the pieces included yeah <laughs> <sighs> yeah i mean there's a reason why slay the spire is my favorite video game I bought it and never had to pay for anything ever again. I bought it like three times. I also bought it three times, but that was a choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I knew what I was getting every single time. Yep. Anyway. Also, I, I have a oh. one one quick thing I wanted to tell you about because I was like taken aback when this happened. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been, so I've been going to the Flesh and Blood armories for a couple weeks, which is just FNM for Flesh yeah. and Blood. And, you know, every time I've just been like, it's casual events it's like a fnm level payout like you you get packs at the end right mm-hmm. no matter how badly you do which is nice because yeah. it sucked for a long time yeah and you needed to build your collection with commons and uncommons so yeah, yeah. so I, I i got my packs but then last week i took first and i go up to get my prizes and i'm like they haven't gotten the packs out yet usually they just like have stuff ready for you to just pick up Mm-hmm. so i was waiting to get my packs or what have you and someone beside me asked can we get that in store credit which was like my first kind of question at the first armory i had gone to mm-hmm. but everyone else had picked up their packs so they just kind of assumed you know it just wasn't a thing yeah which is the store was relatively new so i'm like okay that's cool uh and he's like yeah no yeah that's fine I, that's cool that's uh, like what four dollars a pack and i'm like whoa what store credit's always three dollars a pack everywhere i've ever been (laughs) so when he said it was four dollars a pack i'm like oh my god yeah and and it was like thinking back on it it's just like this is such a small small thing (laughs) but it blew my mind yeah getting one dollar more per pack in store credit which isn't real money anyways yeah exactly (laughs) but getting the full value of the store credit yeah like if i were uh like 14 off playing card games and getting four dollars store credit yeah that's that's a difference maker to a kid playing a card game yeah and the store gets the money all nonetheless right yeah i mean you're just like not Right, you're you're like existing entirely within this store's like internal economy, anyways. If you're a local, a primarily local player, so that was just, that was just a, a neat little thing that I thought was yeah neat and funny and all, all that. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I suppose we should talk about magic today. 
not just the general economy of card games the concept of card games generally yeah i'm positive we'll somehow talk about arena's nonsense in this episode or at least talking about watsi's nonsense in this episode that may be the only thing we talk about hey everyone welcome to episode 245 of the mtg grandcast the spikiest podcast in all of central north carolina we are your hosts i'm chris castor rappel with me is lee mcleod hey lee hi chris how's it going it's going great i mean we've been talking for like well, half an hour or so and so I, I actually a lot of that probably made the pre-show i mean if you're listening you'll know how much of that made the the cold open but this this may be like the longest cold open that we've done so far it's it's gonna be extremely cold i was just wondering when does the episode start now it starts now down to business except not really because this is an absolute like fuck around kind of episode so yeah we had the serious episode like two weeks in a row right we had dom on last week who Mm -hmm. shout out Good job for qualifying for the PT, Tom. I was cheering for you. I'm yes. so happy that you actually did that. <laughs> I was really happy to see that. And his deck choices turned out to be really good. I mean, we'll talk about this more, but, you know, humans was the correct choice in historic and good on him for identifying that. I I know we had regrets not playing the dragon deck that Tangrams mm-hmm. top aided with. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, right. he knew that kind of going in with medium esper, right? Yes, that's the safe choice but unlikely to be like the 60 percent deck in the tournament especially because it's going to be the most played deck in the tournament so and and then the week before we did limited so it's time for uh it's time for goof off episode right except that like we're actually going to be talking about some like relatively serious stuff in in terms of like its impact on people and things not even all of it is like game oriented you know like some of the stuff we're talking about is like things with worlds invites or things with like how they manage the pt which are serious for the people who care about them but ultimately like don't matter but some of the stuff going on like with the watsy hashtag trending on twitter actually like sucks a lot and so you know we'll have some serious moments but this is still like mostly a goof around and poke fun at watsy for being a really badly managed company episode yeah just kind of all around in a multitude of ways yeah and and so just to our our standard caveat for whenever we do this is we are not blaming the individual employees we're not blaming the development team we're not blaming like the individual people who are running the pt tournament like this is a systemic problem I think stemming from management and stemming from like terrible prioritization from the top and bad resource allocation. And that's where all the problems come from is executive, just executives not having any idea what to do with this company. Yeah. Like for instance, I know we talked last week with Dom. I don't remember if this made the episode, but we talked about how when they were asked to do a feature match, you know, there's no spectator mode in arena. If they want matches, they have to get it from the players right so that kind of decision to not implement anything that allows you to do anything but ask your players to stream their games that didn't come from individual employees that came from like 
that's their, how their structure is designed. Right. And that's terrible. It, it is. And it's also like a lot of these things end up having disparate impacts on people depending on their like geographic location and financial situation and stuff. You know, when when Dom asked not to stream that match because it was a food mirror and it would be difficult if it came down to time and they were also streaming and it could come down to like whose CPU is handling arena better at that moment. It's also things like some people have internet and they're playing from the Philippines or somewhere where, I, I mean, I guess the Philippines generally has pretty good internet in most places, but there are places that don't have great internet. And if you have to like stream your match in addition to playing and that's causing your internet to slow down, like, you know, that's not fair for all of the players. And it, it all just stems from this one, like, we're not going to allocate any resources to having a spectator mode in our video game that we've been using as our primary competitive outlet with tournament coverage for th three years now. And this decision was made alongside the decision to promote Magic Arena as the premier digital offering yeah. that they want to have all the tournaments on. Like these things happened at the same time. We are just now in the phase of, oh, it's not an esport. But for over two years, it was supposed to be an esport and it didn't have a spectator mode. Like, get serious. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but that's not even one of the issues. No. I mean, it is an issue for this weekend, but just a general one. Like, it's not one of the not one of the spicy main topics on our menu of failures. No, no. I mean, although some of our failures are in a really similar category of, boy, they really just don't have the proper tools implemented to make Arena a competitive platform that allows for tournaments like this to function. A big one of them is being unable to reconstruct matches that crash. There were multiple matches that crashed and multiple like bad fixes for them over the course of the weekend. I think the first big one was like everybody in France dropped off of their matches at one point, like early middle of day one of the tournament or something like that. Yeah, it was very early in day one. Everyone just like disconnected. And what was funny was not funny, haha, but funny. This is terrible. Right. Funny, that... Tears for fear is funny. The initial admin response was to say, all right, we restart the games. You know, that's what we do, I guess. And then a few minutes later, wait, never mind. Do not restart the games. Everyone who disconnected gets a loss. Even though you just look at the tournament, realize that everyone from France disconnected at the exact same time. It's nowhere close to being construed as malicious in any way. Oh, see, I thought that it went the opposite of that because their standard is if you disconnect, then you lose the match. But be then they saw that it was from France. And so they had to like change. So they decided to change the rule. I guess I'm not keeping up with what was going on. I, I could have easily got it flipped. But I remember there was definitely a change in ruling mid decision. Yes. Yeah. No, no, they did. They ruled. I believe they ruled. I don't know. This doesn't matter super much. I believe <laughs> they ruled that everyone got losses because after that ruling happened, uh, Dom and Nassif had already played mm -hmm. three games, essentially. And on the third game, Nassif was declared to be the loser and Dom scooped because okay. he had already lost twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so not not a lot of consistency in rulings. Can be kind of tough to handle that sort of situation. But I, I think that at the core, like the real problem is there is no way to reconstruct these matches if there is a disconnect or an outage or something. There's no saved match for them to like kick back in and put the players back into in a previous game state. 
and that's really unacceptable in a competitive platform you have to be able to rebuild your your game state it happened in the top eight uh tangrams david inglis disconnected from his top eight match yeah with a an overwhelming amount of board precision yeah just 100 the the advantage bar would be all the way towards tangrams on that one yeah so what's weird is you can look at a screenshot and to an inexperienced player he'd be like oh tangrams is losing this game because he's at four and his opponent's at 20 but tangrams has a leer in play and that's the only permanent in play <laughs> and his one has no cards yeah so that game is over <laughs> yes it's it was done that was really frustrating to hear about and especially because like personal bias towards tangrams i have enjoyed watching his just like meteoric rise to success and just super strong player that i admire a lot and and respect a ton oh tangram is fantastic he was one of the original kci grinders mm. uh even before matt nass's run at the gps sure on moto which is not trivial <laughs> no not easy <laughs> that's uh was he an emerkel win condition guy or was he because you can't uh, he did everything okay. like he, that, that's what i liked looking at his deck lists for mm-hmm. Uh, I know for a long time he was actually playing War of Invention, but okay. it, it's just not. I, I just liked seeing his name, and it, it's nice mm-hmm. to get see him get a top eight in a yeah. pro tour. Yeah, and he also you know played in some of the Mana Traders tournaments while we were covering them, and it was you know we always appreciate the streamers who are playing and doing well because it was easy to feature them. Uh, so my fanhood grew at that point, and it was always fun to watch him. To, to cover his matches and i am bummed that this happened to him in the did it end up mattering i i don't know my <laughs> my viewing of the top eight was very disjointed mine was as well because i started watching it a little bit and then i watched an asif restream for a little bit but then i got very caught up in whatever nasif was talking about and it mm-hmm. very rarely coincided with what was going on yes <laughs> i i do enjoy the nasif restreams but they generally don't have a lot to do with the tournament itself <laughs> so i tricked myself into getting zoned out at you know a lot of the tournament yeah what are you looking up are you looking up if uh, he I'm lost in the to... he lost in the he lost in the yeah uh semis yeah or in the losers the, bracket the lose, the, the lo- <laughs> it's it's yeah it is confusing to me just because i'm not used to the uh double elimination format yeah, he was doubly eliminated in the lower bracket so yeah that that's frustrating that they can't rebuild those matches and let them play out and it is to me wildly unacceptable one of many reasons but a pretty substantial reason that i am happy that competitive play is for the most part going back to tabletop play because this sucks and it's just not you know there's variables there's weird things that get introduced into games of magic but this one just feels like really painful when there's a game a match in top eight that like you were gonna win and then you just don't plus i miss uh i miss the posts on reddit every weekend accusing someone of cheating from a future match with tabletop <laughs> like that's <laughs> That that really hits different after the pandemic, you know? Yeah, I know. We're not getting the full experience without that. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes somebody's picking up a card out of their graveyard and putting it into their deck so that they can fetch it out. That's true. Sometimes. I'm going to put a very... Uh, <laughs> Usually it's not right. Generous Usually. sometimes on that. Usually this is a we've identified the Boston Bomber kind of situation. Yes. <laughs> Let's see. What else happened at the PT? So that's that was all the disconnect issues. Yeah. 
the qualifications mm, for yeah. this tournament was a little wacky. Yes. So I mentioned how Dom made it to the Pro Tour with uh, an X and six record, nine and six, I believe. Uh, and that is due to the fact that they need to seed the next Pro Tour, the first like actual Pro Tour. This is technically a set championship. Mm-hmm. So the bar for qualifying for the Pro Tour via the set championship was lowered relative to what you'd expect from like a, an average Pro Tour a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's like one win less or whatever, right? Yeah, I think so. Th- that alongside with Worlds qualifications means that if you want a little more than that, you're like heavily in the running for Worlds, especially if you were not in the MPL. Because they had different thresholds for league players versus challenger players. Versus rivals, yeah. Or is is league what they call rivals now? So league is what they called like everyone in M- that was at one point in MPL or rivals i think let me like let me be clear i don't understand this system and i made no attempt to because it's not relevant in the future yeah the terms they use are terrible but basically if you're in the mpl from 2018 to whatever your chances of getting to worlds were drastically reduced via thresholds that you needed to get it compared to everyone else yeah, and like the number of of players that made it was lower basically. And I think that so at at the end of the day, you look at it and like yes, this is goofy and it didn't work out right because players made worlds from the challenger spot that, you know, they played in every one of the such championships that the league players played in and they had significantly fewer wins, but they still made it. So something does feel fishy about it. I think the like goal of the the numbers of slots that they set and stuff was number one, the league and rivals players like get these automatic qualifications. So it's a little easier for them to pick up points. And also there's more non-league players. So we want to have more slots for them. But I think they just like never actually figured out the math on it. So then when the numbers actually got added up, it comes back looking like very silly and like really taking away from our best players ability to qualify for worlds i agree that it looks like that on paper and it may be even true but i am gonna share a different perspective sure i have absolutely no sympathy (laughs) from anyone in the mpl who's trying to qualify for another tournament Mm. and they didn't make it because of like there's just not you just don't get enough slots if you're in the mpl right yeah the reason I do not feel anything for these people is because they are gigantic beneficiaries yes, they of t- a rigged system for the past, <laughs> what, four years now? Yeah, that's true. They didn't, and like, they weren't necessarily ask to other be in people that spot. I, I, I get it, but, but like, yeah. they, they've been benefiting an absurd amount from this system. Sure. And only now is it, like, kind of leaning the other way, and all of a sudden it's a problem. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't buy that. It is hard to care that much about it, I guess. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where I fall on it. Like, I, I get that you have two similar people records, one's in the MPL, one's not, and the person who's not in the MPL makes the worlds. That does feel weird. But at the same time, like, how about we get some new people involved, you know? Like, <laughs> are we really going to lose the people in the MPL forever? And if so, uh, okay. Yeah. I I mean, right. It's it's not going to 
truly disenfranchise anybody. You're right. It is hard for me to get like too upset about it. Might be a bummer that some of the better players who like quote should have made worlds aren't going to be there, but also whatever. So yeah, it feels a lot of the time, like when PV made his post, mm-hmm. which I read and then I read through the replies because I'm a masochist. <laughs> uh, a lot of people did reply with, you know, it won't feel like worlds if you're not there. And I think that's really reductive to people who have actually been, not that PV hasn't been working hard for it, but mm-hmm. other people who have also been working hard and it did earn their way into worlds. I think it's like pretty insulting to be like, this new class of players can't rise up because I want to see the same people I've seen for 10 years. Yeah. Because magic is, as a competitive thing, it's not like sports where you just have to retire at some point because you your body can't keep up with it. It's not like every world championship needs to be John Finkel, Kai Bude, PV, LSV. Like, a little bit of a churn is good. And even if sometimes the best player doesn't make it, even if that's like, okay, maybe because the rules were a little weird this year, like, eh... Like, we were just talking about how cool it was to see Tangrams rise up right. and make us top eight. Like, I want to see that for other people who are making it into, like, worlds and such. Yeah. Just new faces. Yeah. The rules for this year definitely were weird, though, and yes. probably should have been a little more thoroughly thought out from the beginning and mathed out to figure out what the correct numbers would be. But that's what we call the watsy touch yeah that's that's like a really ambitious expectation to have out of it uh, we're not done discussing all of the comedy affairs of watsy <laughs> just no, this past weekend we're not is that all of the magic stuff i mean probably not but i mean but is it all the magic stuff that we wanted to hit uh you have anything about the the championship you wanted to hit on yeah, should we should we go into like actual magic content for a minute or should we just I, I mean, just really briefly, the Watsi hashtag was trending on Twitter, which is one of the more ominous things I've ever seen on my Twitter sidebar. So I clicked it and yeah, man, these things extend outside of Magic the Gathering. I think the major ones that I saw and I'm not going to get all the nuance of these things, but the major ones that I saw were basically like. D&D is doing this thing where they're removing the the concept of evil races, inherently evil races, from the game, which, because a lot of these races are, like, coded towards human races or at least have some sort of implication there and not great aesthetics to the whole thing. And so it's a good change overall. But a lot of people are responding like pretty negatively to it. And there's a lot of like racism happening in like the DD, the official DD Discord. And Watsi has like hired this company to do their Discord moderation that basically has no interest or ability to moderate away explicit racist memes and things like that. So that's uh bad is this a real reflection of the scg anti-vax discord where we have to just i guess eventually shut down the scg discord because we refuse to moderate it yeah until patrick sullivan like gives people an opinion to have and then the tone changes completely of the discussion (laughs) 
Well, that was the tone on Twitter. The Discord, I don't believe, changed that much. I did. I I am also a masochist, so I stayed in the Discord and didn't just Ooh. leave at some point, which, you know, if I valued my mental health, I would have a while ago. But for a while, it was pretty much like just one or two people doing the why are there no requirements for these tournaments uh and everything getting like dogpiled by people and then once patrick sullivan tweeted like it sucks that they don't have any like protections in place then a lot more people were on the man scg really just isn't doing the thing right now it was like pretty stark honestly that that is amusing because uh there's two things about that one I always try to have a similar opinion to Patrick Sullivan, just in general. I think whenever he says something that I'm like, God, I'm so glad I thought that before you said something. I feel very proud of myself. It's a little vindicating. Uh, And then it's very amusing when people have to have someone like Patrick to be like, all right, this is what you should think now, guys. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, he's a smart dude that I tend to agree with a lot, but... It is, like, a bummer that people can't come to these, like, generally correct conclusions on their own with any amount of critical thinking applied by themselves. So, D&D racism not going well. Oh, speaking of which, the... I don't know if D&D is like this because I haven't played D&D, but it's always weird to me whenever I encounter a game that has certain races or classes locked behind specific alignments or genders mm-hmm. so like for a long time i played a lot of fire emblem games and for a long long time uh pegasus knights is a class and only females are pegasus knights it's the only thing it could be yes and one game changed that and the next game they went right back to only female pegasus knights and it was like <laughs> well, ho- well hold on yeah you gotta you need a wyvern rider if you want a dude riding yeah, exactly. a flying thing that that's if you're you can't have a pony if you're a dude you have to have a dragon like that's <laughs> those are just the rules of fire emblem do i also, vaguely remember the the one time that you had male pegasus knights they were also like pretty femme characters i honestly don't remember very well be, uh, and that's just a failing on my part mm-hmm. but i do remember the there is a wyvern rider that is a girl and yes. she's the best i love her yes I, I played the app for a little while because it was, I mean, it was just a gotcha game, but it was Fire Emblem themed. So there was a, a decent amount of fun to be had. And yeah, what what's her name? One of the female Wyvern Riders was like by far my strongest character and fell in love with her for a while playing that the app game. Gotcha games. Who would play those? Anyway, back to uh, that. Yeah, anyways, back to Magic <laughs> the Gathering, a real game for serious <laughs> gamers. Who yeah, never not like gotcha games at all. A gotcha game. Can you believe just spending a bunch of money and not having any guarantee of what you're getting? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> so wild. Can you imagine like opening a random like pack of game pieces and like the vast majority of them are just completely unusable? Who would play a game like that? Well, I can't imagine that because that's what gotcha games are. But like they they combine into mm-hmm. uh, like shards or whatever in most of them, so you can like upgrade your th- stuff. Yes, yeah, so that's that's, that's, true. A cool that's actually even better than like. Right, opening commons in if you're if you don't care about limited at all. Yep. Yeah, and then I think the other thing behind the Watsi hashtag actually like making the top of Twitter, at least for me, I don't know how algorithmic it is. 
see, I didn't even see the Watsi hashtag. And I, as soon as you made that tweet about Watsi is trending, I immediately went to my Twitter, which I was already on because I just saw your tweet and looked at the sideboard and it wasn't there and it wasn't there. And I'm like, Chris is not lying to me, but no, I screenshotted it to prove it. Yeah. It was, it was some political garbage that was happening. Mm. And I'm like, this is not the political garbage I need. I need the Watsi garbage. Oh, the other thing that is going on that was going on to make that trend is so there's a dnd beyond is like their like user dnd website oh, and yeah, you yeah. can like submit content and things like that and you know fan art and custom modules and stuff like that and in the user agreement it's uh by posting or submitting any user content to or through the website, games, or services, you hereby irrevocably grant to Wizards a worldwide, perpetual, irrevocable, royalty-free, non-exclusive, and fully sub-licensable license to use, reproduce, modify, adapt, publish, translate, create, or... So you're giving them complete freedom to use anything that you create, any any fan work that you put on their site to profit from and use as their product. Just right there in the 4,000 page terms of use that mm-hmm. no one ever reads. Well, I hopefully people are aware of this now. So that doesn't change the fact that all the previous things that were submitted, and probably while this was trending, yeah, things being submitted then. I, uh, I don't know enough about what was going. Okay, also this other thing under the Watsi tag <laughs> is the state of the game: Magic the Gathering, six thousand total viewers watching people playing Magic on Twitch, Amaranth sleeping on stream 7.4 thousand people watching oh i mean that's not too bad right the everyone together playing magic the gathering has as 70 percent as many viewers as one woman sleeping that's a social commentary right there yeah it says a lot about the society we live in but i don't know what it does say but we you could you could write a paper on it to make some leaping conclusions. We definitely I would read it. Do live in a society? <laughs> was that while the pro tour was going on? Because the pro tour no, had... that was not because there were yeah. there were seven to twelve thousand people watching the PT at any yeah. given time. So I, I'm always a little suspicious of the uh, people do this all the time for every game I ever follow. It's like, all right, let's screenshot Twitch views at mm-hmm. random hours to make a point I want to make. And it's right. just like, all right, I get it. Yeah. You know, you've done it. You found the time and viewers and a different game that compares favorably. Like, yeah, quick, yeah. Good job. You're obviously like, it's more of a joke than anything else. But... Yeah. But that's just, I, I see it all the time and it's so exhausting. Just like, let people enjoy whatever game they're playing. Like, come on. <laughs> or whatever woman they're watching sleeping. Like, you know. Twitter is telling me that my god is trending and it's just like a lot of people saying oh my god about different things in their tweets. So the Twitter trending algorithm doesn't really work very well, I think. So several jokes about Twitter flashed through my head and I censored all of them (laughs) just for the sanctity of our podcast listeners. (laughs) That's fair. As far as results from this tournament go i don't know how much people actually care about standard and historic but it was like pretty fun to watch i enjoyed the games i mostly enjoyed shoda's deck and the jun deck or yeah, the historic? uh the the jun deck it was sweet it was it was really really cool i 
Ginny Faye being just very good and like a very lethal threat super quickly uh, was a neat thing that I think he was probably the only person in the tournament to re- to register Ginny Fay and made it pretty good. I didn't see anyone else play it, but that mm-hmm. could have been like a Shota blinders on my part. Sure. <laughs> I I love Zeatora, the dragon. I just I just like that card a lot. Mm-hmm. Not even for like any competitive reason or anything. I just think it's cool. It looked good a lot when he yeah, played it, it. It's a really good finisher. Yeah. I mean, and he was able to leverage those treasures really well, uh, a lot because of like all of his Jun charms. Like the deck just like worked really well and was a completely unintuitive way of building a Jund colored deck in standard, but, and maybe not one that anybody else can win with. It's, you know, that's a classic Shota type deck to exist, but uh, it looked great. We're reaching the point where Shota just needs like warnings on his deck lists that are published. Absolutely. Do not attempt this at home. This man has been playing Magic for years. There, there was can... a PT where somebody, like, they asked him, like, "What do you, what do you say to people who want to try playing your deck? What advice do you have for them?" And his one-word response was, "Don't." So yes. I don't remember what PT that was. I just remember that that happened at one point. So I, I, th- I believe it was his Pro Tour Kaladesh win. Okay, because they played the Grixis control deck. Yes, that makes was... sense. Not very. It was very Shota. It was very Shota. (laughs) Yeah. And in this one, somehow this deck is simultaneously very Shota and not a control deck at all, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Range. He's got range. Yeah, of course he's got range. It does. I I love watching Shota in paper, though, because he's one of the few players who just plays. If you ever have the thing where you're watching matches on YouTube or Twitch and you speed up the playback speed, mm-hmm. Shota plays at whatever the playback speed you were fast forwarding for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that you you have to watch Shota matches at normal speed. Shota it like has the key to making Magic the Gathering like a watchable game for a wider audience that that has lowered attention spans. We just need everybody to play like Shota. And, and we need to, like, do experiments and science to figure out how to make that happen. See, I know Shota plays too fast for that because <laughs> uh, at one feature match, I know Shota and LSV played each other and they had to send someone to ask them to, to slow, slow down. down. Yes, I, yeah. <laughs> they, they mentioned that on coverage this weekend, actually. Oh, did they? I didn't hear that. Yeah, I don't I don't think I watched. I don't listen. I don't think I listened to any official coverage. I was watching the coverage, but it but was on the stream, or yeah. stream or something else. Yeah. yeah. So the Grixis deck was pretty good over the course of the weekend, like something up around like high 50s, low 60s. Uh, and I appreciate like a Grixis Corpse Appraiser deck being good. It, like that's that makes me happy. Like Grixis is never good. But in the like hella mid range metagame, Trained Armadon, the cast strategic planning is a strong card. I even saw that card be cast multiple times this weekend where it was just, you know, a Grixis 3 3 because there's no creature in the graveyard yeah, yet. Yeah, it, it just, does happen. It's time to cast it. You can't not. You can't not use your mana in this format, is a big part of, of what's going on. You have to play something on turn three, and you hope that it's Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which is consensus and pretty clear best card in standard. But if you don't have a Fable, you got to play something. And Corpse Appraiser is, I guess, you know, and kind of Shizuki as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, Corpse Appraiser can pressure their Kaido Shizuki, can at least, like, block their goblin token or whatever. It, You know, it's on the board. They have to do something about it, and that's 
not good, but hopefully it's casting strategic planning, and then it is good. And then of course I was I was really glad to see the Jeskai Dragon deck in the top eight by by Tangrams, uh, just because I really like that deck. It's, yeah, it's so nice. It, it it is, and it was the right choice for the weekend. It was the best deck, and makes sense. It's the over the top expressive iteration deck, and it's a mid rangey format. Like, yeah, we don't have All Runs Epiphany anymore, but this is how we're doing it now. And if you're trying to beat these, like, on-the-board decks, do it with this weird combo-y control strategy. What are you looking for? Uh, I'm just looking for, like, the actual win rates, because I know these ones that I have up are not necessarily correct. But it's fine. It doesn't really See, matter. See, one, one of the bad things about looking for data for things now mm -hmm. is that MTG data just yeah. stopped posting after the Anastrad Set Championship. Yeah. And that was my go-to. I know all the stuff. So now we get to a, a new Pro Tour set championship, and I type in their Twitter handle, and there's just nothing there. And I'm like, well, it is disappointing. And I know, like, MTG Meta did post win rates, but they differed from the actual win rates at some point. They may be corrected now, but I'm just not sure if they're right, so I don't want to repeat them. But I, honestly, like, the individual win rates are not the most important thing. This was Shout a great out to Simon Nielsen yeah. for just jamming all through the top eight. Yes, he was having a just a great day. And he did what he wanted to do, right? He qualified for Worlds. He like made the top eight of a major tournament. Like This was just a big weekend for him and couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. And he played really well. And yeah, good for him. I don't remember who told me this uh, after the event. They said they were loading up. Uh, Simon's Spotify playlist <laughs> just because they needed a good day, you know? <laughs> that playlist for him must end up have like now has just like all these good feelings attached. Like, how could you start oh, listening yeah. to it without being like, yeah, this is what I was listening to the day that I queued for Worlds and top eighted us at championship. And yeah, it was it was a really good day. And maybe today's going to be good, too. See, that's the cool part about the cams for the players. Uh, it was when you get to see the personality, like when you know Simon's seeing it along, or mm -hmm. uh, Carmen was like having a huge drum solo in one of her yes. uh, events. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that. That's just like it's nice to see people chilling at home and just like playing the game. This top eight was so good. Like I was, every player in this top eight is fantastic, uh, and it was a delight. Getting to see Hisamichi Yoshigoa. Just... With, the, with the green white deck? Or I guess technically Naya. Yeah, green white deck splashing Voltage Surge and Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Yeah. Dude started playing Magic like two or three years ago and started playing competitive Magic like two months ago. And then he top eights this thing and plays well. Like like a couple of like little miscues and stuff, just like little sequencing things that will get ironed out. But like his deck was very good against a lot of the stuff that people were playing, and he, it he was beat the totally... dragon. He beat Tangrams, the dragon deck. I thought would smash him, yeah, but did not. Well, he had four Archon of Emeria. Yeah, very smart in your Naya deck. Like, oh yeah, this all this patches a lot of holes. Yeah, his deck was good. He played well mostly, and uh, yeah, just huge, huge respect. And oh, what what else was I gonna say? Oh yeah, what you were saying about the the cameras, the. Like watching Jan win, and like we got to watch him tell his wife that he won, and she got all excited and like gave him a big hug. And I 
like cried a little it was very sweet it was i didn't see that that's i'm a little sad now i was on the road or something i'm sure i I did not know that that happened i'm sure it's been clipped it was like i don't know my heart grew three sizes that day it was just a really nice moment that that sounds i'm gonna look that up after we finish recording because i would like to see that yeah and and jan a deserving champion played absolutely lights out this entire every time we saw him was just making perfect plays and uh just an incredible magic player yeah i caught his match against simon uh which was pretty intense mm-hmm. and he did the just just he was playing just guy hanada and he did really well yeah he just plays that deck so well yeah and it's not an easy deck to play i mean you do have a certain amount of over the top with bagma opus but that just means you're introducing clunkers to your deck too yeah and and like opus also like doesn't solve all of the situations it's not like casting a cruel ultimatum in alara was where they would be like yeah i just gotta get to ultimatum and i'll win like there's a lot of boards and stuff that that you have to have controlled things for magma opus to put it away and he did a very good job of meeting out threats and and answering things appropriately and uh yeah just played the deck very well and a lot of people played not at their best against it because it's a tough deck to play against yeah it's also not like when you have hanada out the deck is kind of shifts into not mm-hmm. easy mode but but kind of easy mode yeah like your cards are just way better yeah and watching him play when he was trying to play towards like getting Hanada into play and protecting and, and doing something else he, he did all of that really well mm-hmm. yeah so there are two esper decks in this top eight and then there are 24 fables of the mirror breaker all the other decks were running a set of fable of the mirror breaker in them i mean the card's really good <laughs> yeah it's just a time-honored tradition for kiki jiki to be one of the best cards in kamigawa yeah, makes sense I've played a bunch of the standard and basically there's just nothing that I want to be doing on turn three more than in every type of deck, like in mid rangey decks in decks that are doing like weird over the top things uh, in decks that are doing graveyardy things. Like I just always want to have a fable of the mirror breaker in my opening hand. I want to get it into play on turn three. It does. Every, it fixes your mana. It like smooths your draws. It makes, lets you make land drops. It finds you action. It gives you, gives you an threats. artifact. Like gives voltaic you, surge. gives you an artifact for voltaic surge. Uh, this card does it all. It slices, it dices. Yeah. I mean, this is not a surprising thing to say, but like everybody knows this, but just to emphasize, and I do think that at least for some amount of time pairing it with expressive iteration is just really powerful. So, you yeah, know. I w- it was a little bittersweet after I finished watching this event. I really wanted to play some standard, mm-hmm. but I'm just not going to. It was yeah. kind of sad. You don't have a standard collection on Arena, so that's not really an avenue that you can pursue. Like playing it on Moto both kind of doesn't work and is a big hassle. Well, and... it's impossible. Can I talk about another controversy? Sure. Uh, so, win trading mm-hmm. is happening on Moto right. a lot, and it's in two queues. Uh, vintage and standard yeah like if you ever want to play just fire up a league of vintage or standard you will not be able to play a game <laughs> because whoever is win trading at the time will just they wait for cues to pop and they won't accept a queue unless they know it, who's on the other end mm-hmm. 
so once they figure out that that a person's not on the other end of the queue they send someone else to get a come after you and just trap you in a game for like 20 minutes mm-hmm. and you don't get to play magic and you don't can't requeue for a different game because you're stuck in your game yeah so it's it's really bad magic online this has been going on for like i don't know a, a while and Watsi has done nothing to prevent it yeah absolutely nothing and that really takes away from the usefulness of magic online as a platform for these formats yeah you won't see it in modern leagues you won't mm-hmm. see it in pioneer leagues which are the most popular leagues which is why you can't do win trading in yeah them. which is why you can't do win trading but if you ever wanted to play a lesser popular format like vintage or standard mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a less popular format yes you're out of luck you just can't play it unless you're playing a challenge which are expensive to enter <sighs> yeah frustrating and just not good for the health of the game on the platform at least as far as those formats are concerned and i'm sure they're willing to write that off as you know we want arena to be the place where you play standard because we make way more money there but Mm -hmm. like it's not good yeah having options is good for consumers at least not that like you're really sticking it to watsi by choosing one watsi platform over another one but having the ability to play the game in different ways is good and it sucks to like have one pulled out from under you especially when the other one is like so predatory (laughs) yeah at least overtly way more overtly yeah i'm not a fan of magic online and i don't enjoy playing it but i recognize that there are a lot of features that attract players to it over arena certainly and and just generally i like i like magic online i have a bunch of nostalgia playing Magic. sure (laughs) i have no nostalgia playing arena no of course not on to historic briefly i mean the decks are kind of the same as always is it phoenix did not perform is like the only weird thing but that's a temporary thing that's just because everybody showed up absolutely knowing that phoenix would be the most played deck and they all showed up prepared for it and there were a bunch of mirrors, so you can't really get, like, much above 50%. And it turns out that all the non-mirrors people were main decking their lanterns and other things and only picked a deck if they thought that they were fine against Phoenix. And so that all of that added together creates a 47.4% win rate for Phoenix, which is not even that bad when everybody knows that they have to beat it in order to compete in this tournament. And it's still... Like, several players still performed well with Phoenix. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I know Canister heavily crutched on his Phoenix to get his wins in the tournament mm-hmm. <laughs> because the standard deck did not perform. <laughs> but, yeah, what you're saying is accurate. Everyone just, this is an open secret that Phoenix is very good. So, I'm going to come prepared for it. Yeah. Overprepared, maybe. And I think people underprepared, like, this is very much a format where the decks are known and you choose what you want to be ready for and what you want to be good against. People prepared heavily for Phoenix, and then I think underprepared for food and for humans, which, you know, humans at one point was the best deck in in Historic or, like, the most targeted deck, and then fell off for various reasons. Uh, and it, it was right not to prepare for humans. Only eight people registered it, so you are correct not to. But the people who did register it really benefited from that and did really well in the tournament. Food, though, kind of no excuse for not being good against food, but holy crap, every single feature match, food just came on and just shredded whatever it was playing against. Like, 
obviously the small sample and not representative, but it did have a good win rate in this tournament, 56%. And every time it was on camera, just opponents looked helpless. The draws were good. There were a lot of like cat oven squirrel draws, which are almost unbeatable, especially with red removal. But the fact that those cards exist in your deck and people were not like preparing solutions for them, uh, yeah, this this deck was very good this tournament. Not, not too surprising. It's still legal and historic, you yep. know. <laughs> kind of get um, I don't know if you want to talk about Explorer ever this episode because we don't really know that much about it. No, but I I've, think we can transition over to Explorer from this. It's I've a natural heard rumblings of people complaining about Grease Fang, not from like a this deck is too good standpoint, mm-hmm. but uh, this deck kills me on turn three sometimes, and what the hell standpoint (laughs) (laughs) like didn't we just ban Wynota (laughs) yeah yeah so there's not a lot more to put together about historic it just exists and like won't really change until some significant things happen to the format bannings or a new like modern horizon three modern horizons three comes out and then they put a bunch of the modern horizons three cards onto arena or whatever well there's no modern horizons three there's only modern horizons three colon Lord of the Rings edition. Oh, yeah. Boy, that'll be really weird if they put Lord of the Rings cards onto Arena. Well, there's already Godzilla cards on Arena. Yeah, somehow... And D&D cards on Arena. I, I do turn off all of the... So, okay, so Godzilla cards, I mostly, like, number one, they don't show up anymore, and I'd, like, turn off those versions Styles, of them when I yeah. put them in my deck because I think they're, like, universally worse almost than the regular versions of the cards. Yes, agreed. The D&D ones, I don't even, like, see. D&D is such a weird thing to put together with Magic the Gathering because, I, and I get it that it's a corporate brand synergy thing. They own them both, Ooh, so they nice, get to nice do it. Nice words there. Yeah, thanks. But they're the same thing. <laughs> they are generic fantasy backdrops into which they've inserted every single fantasy trope in some way and allowed them to exist together and then they so like putting D stuff into magic doesn't contribute because they're the same thing so what is this gonna make lord of the rings well lord of the rings at least is the archetype but also it it maybe even won't be that weird because like 90 percent of like high fantasy concepts in like magic and stuff are just directly inspired by lord of the rings so i might right. also just like just as with D&D stuff, which I mostly don't notice as D&D stuff because it's the same as magic, like Lord of the Rings stuff might just be kind of in there. But also I will recognize a lot of the names and they will trigger a different like subset of my brain from magic because my like Lord of the Rings experiences exists in a way that my Dungeons and Dragons experience doesn't exist as much. It's also very easy to overlook cards like adult gold dragon when you just like look at the card frame and see the art. And you're like, all right, it's a dragon. Yeah. You don't really think about it. But then when you see, you know, Legolas. Right. This is Legolas played by Orlando Bloom. Elf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in way too many movies. Yes. Yeah. Should have been in three movies. <laughs> Here's Gimli. I know what his voice sounds like. I've done an impression of it because it's funny. And now he's on a card. Like, Hopefully they get the voice actors from the, you know. Yeah, to do the, the arena, the arena. Stuff, arena mm-hmm. voice lines. It's going to be really jarring to have, like, Galadriel as a planeswalker or whatever. 
Like that's going to that be is, very strange. That is one of the things I do not like about D&D, especially with the Baldur's Gate. I think it's Baldur's Gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the previews going on where I'll just see some like, I think Tasha was a witch mm-hmm. and, and she's a blue black planeswalker. And I'm like, all right, this is a planeswalker. She's, she's just a witch. <laughs> you know, like that's all. That's it. She could have been a legendary creature, but we need planeswalkers. So yeah. It. And I don't really get it and i know i see i know there's a power ranking in lord of the rings because the lord of the rings fan base please don't come after me by the way uh is very knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and i'm not but i know that the fans will know exactly how all the characters rank in power relative to each other and if you make one of those a planeswalker and another one a legendary creature it's gonna be over (laughs) yeah and also in lord of the rings like there's uh massive power gaps uh, you know, kind of like like Dragon Ball Z, for example. Like there are some people who are like very strong humans, and then there are some people who can like blow up suns or whatever. Yeah, you got your Gandalfs and your Frodos. Yeah, exactly. And the gaps in a game of Magic: The Gathering, you know, the top end is like fifteen times as strong as the low end, right? Like it only takes fifteen squirrels to take down an Emrakul, so yeah. it doesn't translate over exactly. <laughs> It's, it's, but does that mean Blightsteel is stronger than Emrakul because it can't die to 15 squirrels? Uh, I mean, only in the way that like a Darksteel ingot is stronger than Emrakul because it can't die to any amount of removal or whatever. Okay, I can get behind Darksteel ingot being stronger than Emrakul. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first, folks. Darksteel Pendant, the bad uh, sensei's top. Mm. What is the zero Darksteel... It's the zero mana one that's just indestructible. Uh, Darksteel Relic. Darksteel Relic, yeah. Yeah. Strongest magic card. Cost zero, you can't kill it? What do you do about this thing? It's an artifact, too. It triggers all your artifact stuff. Oh, so good. I will be excited. We're just, like, talking. But I will be really excited when, you know, we do the... We're doing the ramp-up to New Phyrexia with all the Phyrexians in this uh, past few sets. Mm -hmm. We had, what, Gingitaxius and then Rask. So we're just going back to the the hits dominaria and the brothers war and new is around the corner i'm looking forward to that yeah it's a it's a gigantic long wait like the set nuka pen is out for so long before i even get to the first part of getting to new Phyrexia. <laughs> i know i i am excited though i'm totally fine with a number of the magic sets that are like this is directly inspired from this thing like innistrad is a combination of gothic horror and like pop culture horror tropes and it works like i love innistrad of course uh new capenna i'm totally fine with the design with like the art deco stuff is cool the gangster aesthetic is like a neat thing that i didn't expect the names to see. are great the names are fantastic like professional com- face breaker and yeah. whatever makes legitimate business person <laughs> yes witness protection making yes. legitimate business person fantastic call in a professional as the name of a burn spell light them up as the name of a burn spell great but I do really also like, and and it will be refreshing to get the Phyrexian just like totally original, by far the most like, oh, these are Magic the Gathering bad guys that exist in Magic the Gathering. And it'll be nice to like get back to the roots in that way. Yeah, that, that, that's one of the reasons I will be looking for when we actually get to new Phyrexia 2 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then immediately the next set is Lord of the Rings 1. <laughs> Yeah, a little jarring. Gingitaxius getting shot by Legolas. 
well yeah that's just how magic works you know people from all different <laughs> franchises all different. Come. <laughs> yeah it's the super smash brothers of card games apparently or the perhaps the nickelodeon all-stars of card games there's a warner brother ones now too oh. uh, they're just put in beta it's got uh, the tasmanian devil and <laughs> a bunch of weird things in it i just i just like the one where you can make like cat dog fight like the wild thornberries or whatever yeah that's just video peak video gaming yeah. you said slay the spire was your favorite video game but that was a lie yeah it's definitely nickelodeon all-stars which i have never played but watched multiple videos of <laughs> um i don't know is that everything do we complain about all this stuff that's pissing us off no but that that would be an eternity of an episode <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, let's spend five minutes talking about because it's about to be explorer season. So okay, okay. So I do want to talk a little bit about number one, the like qualifier thing. So I did play in the first set of qualifier play in for sealed. Yeah, this sealed format is abysmal. You know, the draft format is getting a fair amount of criticism. There are some fun things about it, but I don't think it has a super high level of replayability. The decks are kind of limited, but drafting can be fun as long as it is the type of the way of drafting that you do enjoy. And and I think that there are people who really enjoy new competitive draft and I I have enjoyed it. I've had fun with it. It's maybe the worst sealed format that I've ever played though. Just the combination of uh color imbalance and you're just like hoping really hard that you get the good cards and combined with just like a num a, a high enough number of playable cards in those colors that allow you to play your good cards because the gap between the good cards and the other cards is just so mind-bogglingly vast. The the gap between inspiring overseer and every other common that's not jewel thief is just nonsense. And then, like, a bunch of your cards, you're also hoping that you get, like, the mana fixing to play them, and it just doesn't necessarily happen. Like, you really want to play your good three-color cards, but you may, they may be completely uncastable in your deck and just eating your rare and uncommon slots, and you may not even have the other cards in the colors to support them, which is, in some way, a part of Sealed generally, but in a three-color set that isn't prepared for sealed like all of the problems of the format become like really exacerbated and i did not enjoy playing my sealed games and i am not looking forward to qualifier weekend playing sealed day one i i it feels like a real dice roll to just like did i get a playable pool will i be able to play magic the gathering with these cards i i'm still flabbergasted that sealed is a format that is played on arena yeah, like you could just draft day one and play all your matches with your draft deck, just like day two. Like, right. So I get it for pre-releases and for like GPs. Pre-releases because the, all the cards are new, and like even if the sealed stuff format sucks, it doesn't really matter because it's a casual event and you don't know what the cards do or how they interact. So mm -hmm. like you figure it out. You know, yeah, it's never that bad, even if it's actively terrible. Uh, and for GPs, you just can't logistically do drafts when you it's really difficult so sealed is just so much easier yeah but for arena where it's all digital and the sealed deck builder is just straight up garbage aka non-existent it's frustrating yeah uh, i don't i do not understand why they just don't do drafts i don't either i really wish they would i just 
I'm not looking forward to playing this qualifier weekend because I don't want to play sealed on arena and especially not this format. So that's a shame because I do like the structure of I, 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 while I didn't enjoy playing sealed, I was glad that I was able to grind in to the qualifier weekend by just like spending a morning playing these play in events. And I, you know, it took me a little while to get the six one to get there, but I had a bunch of like, four win streaks and stuff that gave me gems back so i ended up not spending that many gems to qualify it just took like a little work and a little bit of winning it was a satisfying if i weren't just like frustrated that i kept getting these sealed decks that were like there's no way that i get seven that i get the wins out of this one but it is a like there's a lot of gems on the line so i really need to play my games with this to try to get my entry fee back so that was that was a frustrating experience because of the sealed format, but I do like the qualifier structure, and so I will be looking forward to doing it in Constructed, uh, and next season is Explorer, which I will be exploring and sharing those explorations with y'all on the show. I also think it's weird that like the whole idea of the qualifying to earn the points to play in the qualifiers is that you, it's supposed to be the same format, but draft and seal are just drastically different. They are. So like what what's up with that i mean why why? yeah it i don't know but we've always kind of treated limited as like it's limited season sealed swiss top eight draft which makes sense in a tournament format it's hard to draft when you have like 40 something players playing your ptq you can't do drafts for like swiss rounds but now we don't have to so maybe we could get rid of that right yeah Maybe if anyone wanted to put any any kind of small effort, mm-hmm. uh, but again, another systemic problem at Watsi. It's just all kind of treading water, not really trying to do anything new. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's been the root of a lot of the problems is this like complacency with how things are or how they've always been done, and. I mean, I guess a lot of the times that they try to introduce radical change, magic players just like their guts, their guts explode out of their eyes at the concept. It's not just magic players, (laughs) I promise. It's everyone who's like, is comfortable at anything. If anything ever changes in their life, it's just the end of the world. Yeah. And it's never is. It just never is. Things change all the time. You just kind of have to like deal with it. (laughs) Yep. I, that that's one thing that really bugs me just in general is whenever uh, even something as innocent as like a game changing the structure of something people will jump to conclusions and say how bad it is this way and how good it was the other way and it's like you just heard about this five minutes ago and you don't even know how it's gonna play out can you just not just chill can we not just like give it a minute <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely not immediate takes I hate this Done. And I'm I'm guilty of it time to time as well. Oh, like, sure. I'm not immune, but it's just it's so common and it does bug me. As far as the explorer format goes, it is very difficult to get information about arena formats without just getting in there and doing it. So I think that places that I am going to start just to like give a preview of what I'm going to try out first, and then I will bring my results back to the podcast and, and share my findings. I think a Grease Fang deck of some sort is very appealing to me. Probably 
Esper because I do really like Tainted Indulgence and yeah, Tainted like Indulgence and Mending Kaido Shizuki and yeah you can get Faithful Mending just a and you can just go all in on it that might be a thing that like doesn't last forever it, once people are like hating out you doing that then you may need to play something more like creaturey that that gets there eventually or whatever I think Esper has a lot of good cards too you can just like build a sideboard to try and yeah. swerve around that kind of stuff too you can sideboard to fairy in this format so you know here's a lot of options yes can't sideboard to fairy time raveler but that one's banned you can sideboard big to fairy as a a juke if you want some sacrifice deck is obviously going to be good cat oven is legal in the format that's been good in like every format it's been legal in tougher to make it work in modern but in here i'm sure that it is a high enough power level you don't get like a squirrel but Luris is banned so you can put mayhem devil in your deck without feeling guilty about it so <laughs> i mean you should feel a little guilty <laughs> i mean yeah you're really gonna ruin somebody's day but we're just trying to win matches of magic the gathering here uh and i was not interested in phoenix because you don't have faithless looting and pioneer does not have faithless looting but you get the delve cards as payoffs for doing the thing and mm -hmm. so that's really good i am interested now because ledger shredder exists so so have you seen what nasif has been playing i have not he's been playing a red blue prowess kind of call it prowess deck mm. with kind of what you would associate phoenix cards with but, but no not phoenix. phoenix sure yeah just like ledger shredder uh, soul scar mage stuff like that and just efficient spells mm -hmm. and it looks fine i haven't ha had time to watch him play a lot of games but yeah uh, it's certainly a solid idea because there's just a lot of good cards in that color and fable of mirror breaker and ledger shredder are both really strong right that makes sense i i am into that i definitely would like to try out phoenix at least for a little bit which i think fable of the mirror breaker in explorer phoenix might actually be a thing too because you your your discard outlets can be some combination of fable uh ledger shredder lightning axe some number of chart of course and it may also just be like a finale of promise deck as your card advantage thing since you don't have delve spells there's no teferi to stop finale of promise from being able to be cast so there's some neat stuff there if ledger shredder didn't exist i wouldn't be interested but the fact that it does like some ledger shredder deck i do want to try out well, try it out i'm it may be better without phoenix, phoenix. Have enough payoffs yeah because i think it probably is just better without phoenix that's, that's like, totally that seems possible to be the weakest card in your idea spread but so right and and it may be that the like prowessy version is better first but then phoenix the card phoenix becomes better once people are like engaging with you in efficient ways and if your threats are getting killed then and you don't have phoenixes then your threats got killed if your threats are getting killed and then you have phoenixes then you kill your opponent so it may be a later version of the metagame where that's the better way or something i think it does also depend on the graveyard decks people are playing in general definitely greasefang is good and hearse is a good card in and against greasefang mm -hmm. and if people are playing hearses do not really want to be playing phoenixes true yeah that's that's a really good point i also there's just like this like suite of cards that's rattling around in my head that i i need to like do to get it out of my system more than anything else probably but uh it's the two good uh connive cards so ledger shredder and the illuminator the two mana one one double strike 
that whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability, you connive. And then you put those in a deck with uh, Homestead <laughs> Courage, which is a white to give a creature plus one, plus one, and a plus one, plus one counter and Vigilance until end of turn, and it has flashback for a white. And you can also put in the uh, Escape Aura, the white, the one white mana one, and then you Otherworldly just... Otherworldly Gaze, I think. No, no, no. that's not it. Uh, it's fine, whatever. <laughs> anyways, but that's a lot of redundancy built into this package, and all of your like one white mana spells are really good with whichever of the connive guys you have in play, and like really feed the engine and like help you find more and get card advantage. And I think that that may be a better like auras type route to go than an actual auras deck in this format. So I need to like gonna play Makenda as well, the uh, student's advocate. I don't like my cards already flash back, so I don't know if I <laughs> am supposed to. I think the key is finding the right one mana things that actually contribute to the game plan and figuring out a way if you like what happens if you don't have a ledger shredder or an illuminator in play? What happens if you don't draw them? What happens if they get killed? Like, how do you solve that problem when you have a lot of cards that are really excellent when you have those in play, but very bad when you don't? And that may be an unsolvable problem, but I need to like get beaten playing this deck enough times that I stop thinking about it, basically. Is that going to be your first project? I'm going to play lists from other people first to like get a feel for the meta and like what is important and what cards people are playing and then i will start building my own decks so you're entirely reliant on some sort of twitter aggregation at the point my my explorer deck list entirely will come from tweets that i have bookmarked so thank you thank you robert taylor for tweeting these things i will save them and try them god bless at fire shoes yes just our lord and savior i think i would start with the grease wing files yeah uh, if people are complaining about stuff that is where I. that's where you want to start I, yeah yeah like i that, would have started with winota if if it didn't get banned so i i i agree i'm gonna start out with a tainted indulgence grease fang deck and go from there cool cool yeah but now i think that's it that's a wrap that's a wrap have we complained enough though yeah and then we balanced it out we're good I feel like we could do some more complaining, uh, if you say so. We can complain next time. No, okay, perfect. I, that's my promise. That's our promise from us to you. <laughs> oh, uh, the other sweet thing from this weekend was watching the sweat as Jim Davis did not day two the tournament, and he had like just enough points to make worlds if like everything broke his way, like the right people top aided and the right people like didn't get wins at the end of day two, and exactly the right things happened, and he came in at like seventh place in the challengers race when it's like the the top eight make it, and we got to watch it, and then, so the stream like hosted his stream as it cut out at the very end and you could see him like celebrating the fact that he made worlds it was great it was cool it's always nice when or not nice but it's it's uh it's weird when you're deeply invested in how everything goes in a tournament and you have no control over over it over any of it (laughs) all right thanks everybody so much for listening we really really appreciate your time if you want to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast if you want to find us on social media i'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter i am at lee mcleo thanks so much 
Have a great week. Bye.